Chapter 1. Fitting Out The two-week holiday that followed my graduation from Harvard University and receipt of a commission as an ensign in the U.S. Naval Reserve came to an end on June 13, 1943. My imminent departure for active duty had been the motivation for a family reunion, held in our family's summer cottage on the east coast of Penobscot Bay in Maine with my parents and two younger brothers, a happy and warm occasion for all of us. After lunch on the day of departure, I put aside civilian clothes and dressed in a khaki uniform, one of the outfits I had recently purchased with an allowance the Navy had given to each of its thousands of newly commissioned officers. The balance of the new wardrobe had been neatly packed in a sea-chest by my mother, as her final maternal contribution to her first-born sons leaving home. I was driven to Rockland, Maine, to catch the afternoon train for Boston, the first leg of a trip to New York, and said farewell to my family before climbing aboard. Once the train had started on its way, I sat back to take stock of myself as an officer on active duty for the duration of the war, and to evaluate how I had managed to arrive in such a situation. The naval training I had received had been a large part of my college undergraduate curriculum. I had enrolled in the Harvard unit of the Naval Reserve Officers Training Corps in September 1940, with a result that one quarter of my college courses had been in the required indoctrination and professional subjects, collectively known as naval science. In addition to the classroom requirements of the program and the practical drilling under the supervision of chief petty officers and marine drill sergeants, the NROTC cadets were obligated to go to sea for training each summer while in college. During our freshman year, 1940-41, to 41, we had still been under the delusion that the war in Europe was neither a vital concern for the United States nor something in which we would become involved. The Japanese were hardly considered at all, and certainly not taken seriously. None of us believed that there was any likelihood of our being in a war in the Pacific. In June of 1941, the required midshipman's cruise for the Harvard unit was aboard the USS St. Augustine, a 300-foot former yacht converted into a naval patrol ship. The day after we boarded in Boston Harbor, the St. Augustine headed out alone to the Mid-Atlantic to meet up with the British battleships King George V and Rodney, escorted by two British destroyers. After the rendezvous, the British destroyers returned to England, and the King George V and Rodney, now escorted solely by the St. Augustine, continued to Boston. There the battleships went to the Boston Navy Yard for major structural repairs. This escort duty accomplished, the St. Augustine returned to sea to patrol between Provincetown, at the tip of Cape Cod, and Cape Anne, with the midshipmen standing watches and conducting drills. This cruise was under old-time reserve officer supervision, which seemed professional to those of us who had no prior sea experience and it was a well-organized introduction to shipboard routine and naval discipline. The cruise did not by any measure end the midshipmen's first enthusiasm for sea duty, though intermittent bouts of seasickness may have muted some of it. However, there is no getting around the fact that it constituted a minimal exposure to life at sea. 
We started our sophomore year in September of 1941 still in a civilian environment, on balance, but there had been a subtle change in the political climate. During the presidential campaign of 1940, all the candidates, including President Franklin Roosevelt, had solemnly vowed that no American boy would ever fight on foreign soil in a foreign war. By the fall of 1941, however, Mr. Roosevelt's administration had begun to prepare the country for a different role than continuing the isolationism that had been the cornerstone of American policy since the end of World War I. In the first place, the Soviet Union was being torn apart by a German invasion, and sympathies were being extended in the Russians' direction, as well as toward our avowed friends the British.' 